Hello and welcome to the Hunt High Carvers podcast with your hosts, Jason Hirsch and Joel Rayther, where we bring you everything from training tips to nutrition, as well as industry leaders and those from the field to better enhance your hunting experience. And now, without further ado, welcome our hosts, Jason and Joel. Thanks for joining us on today's H3O podcast. Today's guest is Mark Holzing from XO Mountain Gear. We talk packing, fitness, their pack systems, and so much more. We look forward to this conversation, and we appreciate you joining us. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the H3O Hunt High Harvest podcast. Uh, I am your host, Joel Rather. I'm here with uh, my partner, Jason Hirsch. Howdy. Hi. And we are very fortunate today to have a guest with us, uh, Mark Hulzing from XO Mountain Gear. Fortunate is a strong word, but glad to be here. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate <laughs> fortunate it. in these times. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, we, we appreciate you taking the time to to uh, carve out a little bit with us today, and um, got a whole host of things. You and I have kind of gone back and forth, not only just on um, things regarding XO and and what you guys do, and obviously we're huge supporters, and and uh, at the same time, but. Uh, I feel like there's layers to what you guys do that are go much beyond just product. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of the cool part where to me and to us, it's, it's interesting uh, and definitely inviting for us to have this conversation for sure. So, um, cool. so first, first of all, uh, I want to kind of just get, get some background and, and understand like, you know, what is it that you do? What's your role with XO? Um, how did you get involved with them? And, and um, you know, kind of what's, what's daily life for you as far as that goes? and product development everything it takes that you know goes into launching a business behind the scenes before it happens right uh, so just prior to then i had steve and subsequently met lenny just running kind of in similar circles um at the time i was uh pro staff for an archery company that steve was working with a bit so i think we first met at an ata show um which is like a archery trade show that happens yearly yeah and um Yes, we met then and developed a friendship. Um, and my background is in technology, um, and so I was helping him. He owned another, or still does own another company called SNS Archery. Yeah. So I was helping him a bit with that, and then he basically told me, he's like, hey, we're launching a pack company. Um, can you help out with that? Up and running from like the, the tech perspective, website, all that early stuff. And so I did then. And, uh, yeah, since the beginning, before the beginning, I look at it. And then over the years, just did more and more um, with XO. I was in um, IT at a higher ed institution for quite a few years and then just made the jump over um, to XO full time. So, yeah, these days, man, we're very, um, we've grown a lot in the last uh, five, six years since we've started, but um still in like operationally um and this is very intentional but still a very small company right um and so it's one of those things where i don't have a i mean i don't know i don't know what my job title is um (laughs) don't have one we're not good at that (laughs) either i have people always ask that and i'm like i don't know call me whatever you want depends on the hour yeah yeah i mean we we literally just (laughs) this is terrible six years into it we just made our first business cards like a few months ago (laughs) and that was because we were uh we've done some shows, mostly consumer shows because we sell direct to consumer. So we haven't done too many like industry. Shows. Um, so we were going to shot show, um, kind of in an official capacity. It's like, ah, oh, gosh, we have a business. Right. So it was even, and let's not put titles on them. Like we're making business cards just with our name basically. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I, yeah. cards are so outdated. <laughs> yeah everybody's got a but cell phone it, and a text message or social media dude, it's like way better yeah. than giving a business card out yeah yeah it is funny though like at a at a place like shot show it's it's kind of still big right like guys are still handing out cards when i don't know that's a whole different uh, the last topic, the but. last trade show i went to they had these little scanners and you scan your uh yeah yeah the barcode on the badge and it just creates a mailing list for you of all the people so instead of handing out business cards you just get 
an automatic yeah. populated list every every day that you're there. I'm like, that's probably way better than passing out worthless business cards that are going to end up in the trash anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're going for uh, kind of mass contacts and like getting people on the email list, that's perfect for sure. Yeah, most so, definitely. Yeah. So. Hey man, it's um, everything. Um, I still manage a lot of the technology, marketing, communications, um, somewhat operations. I'm in a weird, so uh, EXO is based in Boise, Idaho. I live um, in Missouri, and so I've always worked remote for the company, which, you know, again, mainly doing tech and marketing and all that works just fine. But so basically, I do almost anything but build a pack. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, for for those of you that don't know, I mean, like, I I think for us, um, I I was first introduced probably like where, where I saw your your packs first was, you know, looking through some of the different platforms like, you know, the BRO guys and, and, you know, various, Mm -hmm. various, yeah, I would say like recognizable people in the industry that are wearing them. And then obviously seeing Steve out with various different folks that um, were all utilizing the packs. And then you kind of start to see like the functionality of them. And then um, really, I think the next part for me was a mutual friend and, and someone who um, does a lot with you guys. I actually just saw like the, the recent email that you sent out, um, which is Garrett Bowen with Top Priority. And oh, yeah. Garrett, Garrett lives lives here in Denver. I think he's actually back in Boise right now. Um, but uh, he had reached out to me. And we kind of started some dialogue a little bit, and, and I kind of said, hey, you know what? I'm like, what's what's the deal? I'm like, are, the, are these EXO packs all they're you know, cracked up to be, you know? <laughs> and he's like, they're worth every penny, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I kind of had started, you know, that was kind of my first introduction, which is seeing the product, getting someone who, who is, uh, you know, used it and whatever. And then, you know, the next step in the process for us was, all right, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to make that leap and in, into, um, you know, getting them and, and vetting them ourselves. And so like last year for us was the first year actually utilizing the packs and you kind of helped me, uh, in that process, uh, when I had reached out and, um, you know, the email that I'd sent you this week was, Hey, you know, the rest of the guys that are part of kind of our field staff with H3O, um, uh, I think after watching us last year, turn around and like, all right. Yeah. Um, we get it. You know, we're, we're in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, that definitely is something that helps, I think in that process process, which is word of mouth and then getting to see the functionality. Uh, I know Jason and I, from a testimonial standpoint last year, I mean, I would say in the amount of miles that we typically do, which is not out of the ordinary from anybody else by any means, but just in the mileage that we put on in last year, you know, I would say like, my ride as far as a pack goes and comfort and and just the ergonomics of it as well as the weight um was probably the best year i've had on the mountain you know since I, you know i've hunted especially in in colorado here in the high country for almost 20 years so and my, yeah. sh- my shoulders thank you <laughs> <laughs> well it's good to hear i mean you're uh i would say like your quote-unquote story of like connecting with garrett and that like that's that's what we want that's what our business is built upon is basically people who have discovered and have used our packs. Like, uh, they are our quote unquote salespeople. Not that we're trying to get anybody to sell our pack, but just happy users who tell their buddies. I mean, we don't, um, you know, going back to being a small company and almost intentionally small, we don't do big budget spins, big marketing campaigns. You're never going to see our ads in a magazine or, um, you know, on some sort of like sportsman's channel or anything like that. And, to this day, you know, if you go and you make any order through our site, there's a where did you hear about us questions you check right. out. And um, the thing that's put in that box more than anything else by far is heard from you or heard about you from a friend. And that's exactly what we want. We just want people to run the products, right. um, hopefully be happy with it and then tell their buddies. And that's that's how we want to do business, you know. Right. Well, I think that my next question is, you know, last year, I think maybe for you guys was potentially a little bit of that tipping point of, of, of growth potentially by looking at what you guys did with the K3 packs. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can talk a little bit more about the, the technology, if you will, behind it. I know that you were a little bit midstream and then the pack itself, as far as the frame changed in um, the, the metal um, that you guys, mm-hmm. you know, switched from. And I think um, 
you got such an influx, I believe, based on that word of mouth and people that were excited about the product that you guys were, were under the gun last year around this time to try and get new packs out with, with the, the K3s, right? Yeah, I mean, the K3, what ended up being the K3, I don't want to say the K3 itself because the, the name's like the last thing to be done on, a, on the design. But, right. you know, we generally only do major updates every two to three years. And so the K2 packs came out uh, in 2016. The K3s then launched in the summer of uh, 2019. So about that three-year cycle. Through that two to three-year time, you know, we're always testing. Even though we just released the K3s, we're, we're always constantly tinkering, testing, trying ideas. Um, and so that's just, that's never going to stop. I mean, us is just always looking for what's next, what's best. And again, we don't try to pass it on to the consumer. It's uh, kind of frustrating, right? When you know that you buy a new computer and it's going to be graded in six months and you missed right. it or thinking of like how companies try and loosen your reality, like, Technology, um, few instant, a few up Like this year's bow and a bow from four years ago. There's some improvements, but it's not. You know, it's it's marketing to say that it's like revolutionary, right? right. Oh yeah, for um, sure. So yeah, we keep a pretty slow cycle, but yeah, I mean the frame um, for the K3, we tried. Uh, a new material that we had tested for over a year. Um, you know, it was not only new to the pack market, it was new to the commercial market. It had been used extensively um, in the military space and the aerospace um, engineering side of things. Um, it was basically just a very specialized alloy and it had, um, you know, benefits. We'd always since 2014 been using titanium, which uh, right. is obviously incredibly light, incredibly strong, has a lot of benefits. And this alloy was, you know, supposed to have that same level of strength and performance, um, you know, and allow us to shave a couple ounces, which, yeah, you know, a couple ounces is a couple ounces. But when you're trying to make a lightweight pack, you're looking to shave weight where you can, when you can. And that all adds up into, you know, maybe saving a half a pound in the end. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we had been testing that stuff for well over a year and it was great. You know, it was. It was like that balance of same performance of titanium at a little bit less weight. But, um, you know, there's a difference between testing something with a couple hundred people and then getting several thousand out there. And, uh, yeah, we, we saw some begin to uh, develop a crack. Um, and for us, that's just not like even if it is, you know, that one in a freak chance, it's like, ah. So when the first one came up, it was, you know, well, maybe that was a fluke. Maybe something went wrong. But then you know, we got a couple and then, so then it's, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we handle this? And the last thing we want um, for anybody is to have any sort of issue. So um, yeah, we voluntarily just said, all right, all these K3s we ship with this new material, we're going to replace with titanium. And that meant replacing hundreds and hundreds of frames that were perfect. Um, Cause essentially the failure rate was right about a half of 1% that we were seeing issues with, but for that guy who does have that happen, um, that's not acceptable to him. It's not acceptable to us. And so, you know, we're back to titanium. It's essentially, um, from a performance standpoint, no difference functionally, really. Um, it's, it's just a matter of, okay, the the pack's now a couple ounces heavier. Um, you know, is the main difference there. So, yeah, I mean, to, to us, that wasn't even, that wasn't a growth issue. That was more of, um, you know, we do have that mindset of constantly trying to innovate. And when you innovate, um, you do in-depth testing. We did in-depth testing. Um, but it just goes back to the numbers of if you're seeing, you know, a, a freak one in a per point percent of a percentage. Yeah. Um, that doesn't show up when you've, you know, we had guys testing them extensively. But until you get thousands out there and then you have that some sort of failure rate, in which, you know, to be honest with you, not... I'm not saying what any other company would have done, but um, a lot of a, a lot of people would have treated that as acceptable, right? You know, like right. oh yeah, it's yeah. like a for sure one in every couple hundred it's or in the margin of error. <laughs> yeah, it's in the margin of error. We'll replace it when they have an issue. But to us, it was like all right, let's replace these before anybody else has an issue. Right. Well, and, and um, like I know Garrett yeah. Garrett's told me, you know, like 
how Steve is, right? Like the, as as detail oriented as he is, and in like kind yeah. of type A with that type of stuff. Like I can see, yeah. I can see him being like, uh, no, not gonna happen. Yeah. Like that that's not that's not a standard that's acceptable, right? Right, right. <laughs> and to, you know, to be honest with you, like get you know, obviously, like I said, I've been around since day one, but being basically a and I'm involved in all parts of the business. I see what it's like to be a small business owner now. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to get on the line and to throw out like a business is an abstract thing, but at least a business for our size, um, it is very personal. So like yep. when we saw somebody's frame break, like we're legitimately losing sleep over that. Like we know that guys are working hard all year, training hard all year. They want to go out on a hunt. Um, and if they have, anything that we did affects their hunt in a negative way. Like that's stuff we lose sleep over. And so sure. to be honest with you, that's part of it is it's not like, it, it's not about what's an acceptable margin. It's like, I don't want anybody's hunt to be messed up or anybody's experience to be messed up. Sure. Cause it's something that, you know, we personally put out there. So yeah. it, you know, it weighs, it weighed heavy on us for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, that kind of leads into the next portion of it, which is it, for most people, I mean, a majority of hunters, when their plan, you know, goes in place, like we have like what, four days left before the, you know, the deadline here in Colorado, as far as big game applications go, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you think of how much time folks put into what may be their only hunt of the year or probably their most important or biggest hunt of the year right and so like you said um those are things where you know that the the end user the consumer on that that side of it um the effort the money the time and everything that goes behind um that experience and and you know it's fun like jason and i always talk about like the the campfire chronicles type thing which is the stories and the experiences and and things that we have in these circles when we talk with folks and and those like become these painted pictures of lifelong memories for folks and and in in the the broader stroke of all of it you know you're part of that experience right and like when when we talk about packing when we talk about you know just the mileage that you put on in any given hunt but then more importantly what happens when the work really begins right Mm -hmm. the biggest difference is how does that pack ride and what you know what's your you know no one i don't think i've ever packed out an animal where i went well that was easy like, <laughs> right i mean it's never easy like it's, it's, it's hard scenarios where you just wish you could kill them in camp so you don't have to pack right them out. i almost yeah. did that two years ago by the way almost did that which would have been awesome but um yeah at the same time there's a huge difference when you look at the economy of all of that and i know from you guys perspective that's a big part of, of the equation which is the mm-hmm. comfort level the customization within the pack itself i think to us and and i know um a lot of the 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 listeners probably don't know this but you know i'm a guy who's 510 considerably average dude i'm a you know 190 to 200 pounds and jason is six foot eight i am abnormal by most measurements (laughs) a little bit different right six foot eight 250 pounds i'm still i've got to be 260 now i've been i haven't done jack squat <laughs> the, in the last the, two weeks the, you're built like a troll is that I, what you're I, I, i'm starting to look like a troll for sure <laughs> uh, more like an ogre actually than a troll yeah. <laughs> my hair my hair is still a little short but uh but those are things that are you know they're huge that's, i mean that's huge for yeah. me as a you know a tall person is finding something that fits like i said my shoulders thanked you last year for yeah. the quality of the pack and and being able to transfer that weight you know down to my hips but that was that was huge for me was finding a pack because we had talked about when we were looking for new packs you know to make packing out easier because we packed out uh his buddy darby's elk two years ago with just regular shoulder bags and yeah. that was probably the most miserable hour and a half of my life like we, <laughs> that's a good thing it was only an hour and a half yeah sure. well it that's was like bad, right? it was like a bear yeah. crawl up the side of a mountain and then it was like let's just go 15 yards and wait and then see yeah. and, you know, see if we can recover and then go 15 more yards and wait and so and by the time we got back i'm like dude it's three o'clock in the afternoon i don't want to do jack squat the rest of the day i just want to sit mm-hmm. in camp and and you know let my body recuperate because that was grueling um so anytime that i can find something that fits me better than just for the average joe 
uh, I'm yeah. all about it. And so you guys make a, uh, a pack for tall guys. Um, and mm-hmm. I, and I fall within that tall guy realm. Um, so that, that for me, you know, that, that that's a, a feather in your cap right there, just because you cater to, you know, tall athletes. Um, and, and, and we took advantage of that last year. And I said, the pack fits me amazing. It rides awesome. It does everything you guys said it would do. Um, it felt weightless as I was walking around the woods, I get back to camp and I felt amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I could get up and do it again the next day. I mean, we put on damn near 50 miles last year, just walking around and it felt like every day I got back, I'm like, I didn't even feel like I had anything on yeah. and I was mm. carrying around 30, 40 pounds of gear. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, it's uh, going back to what you said about the pack out and how important that is. We it, there's a balance there, right? Like, if you strictly design for just carrying a hundred pounds, you're going to design one way, right. but you're going to make some sacrifices on how does it feel with what you're just talking about of day after day of carrying thirty to forty pounds, right? Um, you know, because you can kind of optimize on either end of that, and we've always tried to strike the best balance of what does both well. Yep. Um, because there, there are trade-offs there for sure. And, uh, there's also a sweet spot if you can find it about, um, one system that does both well. And then even going back to height for us, it was that versatility on that was really important. And so even as you mentioned, like fitting a tall guy is great. Like you're going to have our tall frame, but then also run it extended. In both of our frames, we have those reversible frame extensions. Mm-hmm. So you can change the frame height on the fly, which is really nice. Um, for me, I'll run a tall frame, not extended when I'm just carrying some gear, if I'm carrying that 30 to 40 pounds backpacking, but then as soon as you fill the bag and our backup heavy, that extended frame height, have a better angle of the load lifters, get more leverage out of the physics of the pack. And so it's that sweet spot of literally within a minute, you're changing the performance of the pack based not on like, you know, some theoretical benefit but literally the fix and mechanics of how that pack's structured with your body um but it's all at the same time really simple which is always something we go back to just trying to keep things simple as possible yet add the most function in that simplicity right um, and trying to strike that balance yeah and and i think that's that's probably the nicest thing is that when you really get into the nuances of the bag itself and you get it physically in your hands, like you can see how much customization the bag allows you to do so that it rides the way you want. It fits the way you want, uh, you know, adjusting. There's buckles and straps you know, and you know, more straps while and more buckles. And I'm like, I, I remember when I first got it, I'm like, what do all these things do? Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you tighten this and extend that? And then you start playing with it and you realize that it, it's pretty intuitive. Yeah, uh, it is. You, know, yeah. You, you start looking at going, all right, well, this tightens that and this tightens that. And, oh, yeah, here's the extender. And, and you know, here's how you attach, uh, you know, the, the bags if you were to have this thing splayed open in the field and, right. and you're, you're attaching your, uh, your meat bags to it. So, like I said, it's pretty intuitive mm-hmm. when you look at it. It can be a little uh, intimidating at first because there's – straps and stuff flowing everywhere but uh uh, they're all for a purpose but they exactly they all serve a purpose they're not just there to to make the bag look cool or uh or make it uh, appear to be fancy yeah so right uh, yeah there's there's don't want you to try to connect this to that when it shouldn't be connected and so by using two different styles of buckles like the way the lid attaches versus the way the bag attaches to the frame if you try and crisscross that you physically can't because yeah, they're yeah. two different buckles yeah i did that we always try and make like even very <laughs> subtle things kind of like like hey, even the buckles, you may want to do this but yeah. we're not going to let you <laughs> even the buckles are like different sizes so you can't fit one inside the other and i'm like yeah why is this buckle not working like oh an you dummy because this is for the side pockets not for the lid and right. so, yeah so like i said you, you guys um, obviously you did your homework on it uh and feedback obviously from your 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 client base is probably uh feeds greatly into the new design on uh you know it does, yeah adjusting the, for those mistakes you made with the first design right yeah no i mean it's it's honestly one thing i love about our business model being direct to consumer there's a lot that people don't understand about that but one of the one of the best things about it is if you are using our pack and you're talking with someone about that or you have questions you need support or you want to give feedback like you're talking to the source right. so if you call the exo number you're talking to me 
Um, you're not talking to a dealer who then has to like theoretically, oh, I'll tell the company. Like, no, you're you're talking to me about it. And so all of our customer feedback is so direct and that allows us to like really have a good feel for who's using our product. What are they doing with it? What do they love about it? What do they want to see changed? Um, it's just, you know, that whole quote unquote direct to consumer to us, that's more than like a sales model. That's like a whole, that ties into product development. That ties into everything. Right. Um, I can't imagine trying to, you know, develop products and then sell through dealers and not having that direct connection with the customer. Yeah. So kind of taking that and, and moving, you know, into the, the next, you know, frontier, if you will, or the, you know, what's next kind of mentality, you know, after mm-hmm. the last, you know, the release in 2019, like what's, you know, maybe, maybe there's snippets of this or, or amounts that are divulgable, I guess would be the right word. Um, mm-hmm. What's next as far as like things that you guys are now looking on, I'm sure taking feedback and learning, obviously, which is part of the strategic process as far as how do you continue to advance, but what are you guys looking at now or what are like maybe some thoughts or, or stuff that's uh, new to you guys that, that maybe, you know, future customers are, can, can look for. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's played up, but nothing I can say now. Uh, <laughs> again, going back to being like a two Give to three year cycle. Give us your secrets. <laughs> yeah. Because of that two to three year release cycle, we're only, you know, eight months into that, right? Like right. the the new stuff was just released not too long ago in that context. So um, I would say in the end, uh, there probably will be some maybe additions to the K3 line over the next year, year and a half, too. Um, you would see kind of a redesign of the line as a whole, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's other things that we've looked at or that we get requests for a lot um, that we'll explore. Like, you know, one example is honestly it's come up for years, but we get hit up all of the time to make a bino harness, for example. Right. Um, we know we can make something and probably sell a ton of them, but to us, we're only going to release a product that we feel offers something to the market. Right. Um, and the fact is, there's a lot of great bino harnesses out there. For sure. So unless unless we were to have something unique or different or offered a new value to the market, we're not just going to make a bino harness just because we can probably sell them and right. make you know a little bit more money. We want to actually like create a product that's going to add some value. Yeah. So you were kind of constantly looking, man. I mean. Um, I can't tell you how many times Steve and I have looked at tents or looked at even like other oh, products. That's a, that's a whole other Just, podcast. <laughs> it's a whole other podcast, man. Whole other podcast. So our core is going to remain packs. I mean, it's yeah. it's been interesting that even in the last few years to see some of the other quote unquote pack companies completely diversify into other product lines where they're they're essentially no longer a pack company. They right. still make packs, um, but they're making so many other things as well. Which for us, it's. I mean, we are very happy being, quote unquote, just a pack company. Um, The the tinker in us and the gear nerd in us is always like looking and always has ideas. Um, But in terms of our focus, it's on it's on packs. And even I guess another thing to say about that is even in packs, we know what we're building packs for. Um, So like another request we get a lot is, hey, can you guys make a pack without a frame? Um, so that I can commute with it or so that I can, you know, like go with my wife on a weekend trip or whatever. And again, we could probably make them and sell them. But to us, like our market is and our goal is let's make a pack that's as light as possible, as functional as possible. But a core component is we want you to be able to pack loads with it. It's like we want you to have a frame. Um, that's why we started. That's what we want to make packs for. And that's what we're staying focused on for now. So like adding lifestyle products or, you know, (laughs) that type of thing, or just like a a pack for casual use isn't, you know, it's just not something we're interested in currently. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we're just, we're, you know, we're still trying stuff, man. We're it's, it's, that's one thing that's, um, I think is unique and exciting is we're not we're not on a cycle where we feel like we're for investors or for anybody else like we're trying to come out with something new to then generate some sales to have some buzz we're just like we'll take our time and come out with something when it's ready and when it has something to offer so that's that's kind of why things take two to three years um and why I can't give you an answer on what's coming next. Cause no, no, it's all honestly, good. although we may have ideas right now and we're testing stuff right now, time tells. 
you know, on whether that's a good idea. Cause what we're trying now could be a terrible idea if you ask right. me in three months. Well, and I think that to take that a step further, I mean, the thing that I think about with that also, and in, in, in our experience using the packs now, as you go, well, how much else can be done? What, you know, what are the other things that you can, can do to improve upon that pack where, you know, you look at the lineage of where you started, which, you know, now is a, is a pretty good test plot of time as far as, like you said, testing them out, trying them, making adjustments, alterations, using different alloys, you know, the functionality as far as the adjustability and, and the weight and all those types of things. And I look at it and go, you know, for me, anything that you would do at this point to enhance that pack would be like, holy crap, like that's, that's going to be pretty, pretty impressive based on how much thought process has gone into the products that you currently uh, have. You know, like I know we, we have the, um, the the 3,200 or the 35, 3,200, we're at 32, 32, you know, Mm -hmm. to me, like I look at that and based on how we hunt, you know, I envision because I, I'm a guy that you know I, I don't have the the brand new iPhone every single time that it comes out. I, I'm a guy like I look at my pack and go, this pack's probably going to stay with me until I virtually break it completely apart. And and the way they're built, obviously, that to me is going to be a long ways down the road unless there's a you know an advancement or an, a feature that gets you know developed in in the future that I would say, yeah, that's going to better suit me than what I have now. Right. Mm -hmm. And and because I look at that and, you know, it is an investment, you know, it's something where that is virtually part of every single day. And, you know, it's on my back a majority of every single day that I'm out in the field. And so the the value and the importance of it is huge. And like with what I do, you know, being a professional strength coach and, and, you know, that's a, a huge part of my background. I've been in the outdoors my whole life, but I look at it and I, you know, the conversations that you and I have had about, uh, training and I've kind of given you some background on, on my experiences and stuff like that is my goal is to try and work on the other aspect of that, which is I'm trying to get people to understand the value and what preparation does for the hunt. But then at the same time, when I partner that with the product, which is, you know, in this conversation obviously is, is the pack. I can really make a huge impact over the course of time in a five, six, seven day hunt that will drastically potentially improve the experience of each hunter based on not only better knowledge base of, of, you know, products and things that are going to suit me best, but also preparations that include the physical aspect and, and all those other parts of the equation that increase the the likelihood for success and we talked to we talked to outfitters about that all the time like when the uh the the outdoor expo was here in denver um we traveled and jason and i went and talked to you know various outfitters you know at their booths and stuff and without question the biggest factor that they always expressed to us is what's the biggest failure or success kind of factor in that and inevitably, you know, the last guy I remember that we talked to is an outfitter from here in Colorado. He says, fitness. Mm. He's like, without exception, they've all said fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they, yeah. Everyone says, well, you got to get in shape for the hunt. And they show up and sure shit, they're not in shape. And then they're running up to camp that's 11, 12,000 feet. And they're <laughs> supposed to pack out, you know, 60 to, to 100 pound packs. And these guys cannot do it and it it greatly reduces the success of the hunt and it makes it a lot less enjoyable for guys that are spending five six seven ten thousand dollars on a hunt um, to go get the animal of a lifetime they don't you know they they have all the fancy gear but they themselves are physically just not prepared for it yeah 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 i think that that being able to endure for the days of the hunt like obviously more time in the field is going to equate to more success sure and if you're not physically fit to be able to perform for more than a day or two or you're so sore after day one or day two that you can't keep going on that's obviously a problem but for me it always comes back to that physical aspects so related to the mental aspect of that too because you can think that you're gassed but a lot of times (laughs) your mind is obviously giving up before your body actually is quitting you know you're making that choice of like i'm giving up um but it's I always come back to even in the physical training, yes, your body's adapting to that, but you're, you're generating that mental toughness, if you will, like to endure the hard thing. And so it's like that one, two punch on, you talk about 
guys giving up on a hunt. It's mental and physical, but they're so closely tied together. And they, they, in the off season, they're also developed together in my opinion. Sure. Oh yeah. I, I think that's a huge aspect of it, which is, um, I always talk about within our training, like, you know, giving dosages of venom so that you're, you're prepared mm-hmm. for the bite. Right. And, and, yep. and so, if we expose ourselves, I mean, I, I know like last year, I tried to actually track my mileage last year. I have a, there's a, there's a spot that's just uh, on the outskirts of town that has a really steep incline. That's just about, uh, I think it's like just under, uh, it's under a mile, but it's just straight and it's just continuous. And like, I start my training you know, obviously I never really quit, but like, as far as like my focus preparation where I go and hit that thing and I start to put in mileage and I start to put in reps and then I start to add, add weight. And, and, you know, it's kind of the part of the philosophy and and approach that we take in, in terms of applying training that's progressive and leading up to, you know, the actual hunt in September. And, you know, last year, I think I was close to 150 or so miles, you know, through uh, preparation, just getting ready for what was going to be the biggest dose in, in that amount of time, which was the actual hunt itself. Um, yeah. So, and I know for you guys, like if people go to, you know, your website, um, you know, there's, there's resources there and this is why I kind of like this conversation and, and it serves uh, a kind of a dual purpose, which is the ergonomics of, you know, what you guys do in terms of the packs and the, and, and the products themselves really play into both sides of that. Because if you don't have a pack that fits well, if you don't have something that, that rides right and whatever else, like there is such a, a like an a, what I consider to be like this compounding interest of misery that over the course of, yeah. of a week, <laughs> good it. right? Like it just is going to wear on you, right? And and I think mm-hmm. that you know as people look at this, and then you you're, you yourself like you're a, a great example, which is like we talk all the time about you know people that live at lower elevations and like understanding which you do the requirements of what it takes to go from where you live up to here and start you know just digging mm-hmm. your teeth into it it's it's a yeah. big ass without sucking wind right away <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so yeah i've uh, definitely been a flatlander you know it's uh it dictates the way i train and in some ways how much you have to train too but um yeah guys will be surprised you know if you're you're going out on your first elk hunt and you're coming from Iowa or something like that. Um, yeah, it's a, it can be a rude awakening for sure. But yeah, going back to what you're saying about even how the, the products on our end paired with the physical training is going to allow you to avoid that cycle of misery and that compounding interest and then allow you to hunt further, um, or hunt longer, stay in a hunt. Like the last bull I killed, uh, in Colorado was on literally like last light of day seven. Um, if I wasn't in good shape or whatever, or my pack was, you know, not comfortable to spend 12 hours in a day, I wouldn't have made it that far anyway. Right. Um, and so it really does matter. Um, but then that also goes back to like what I was saying of even in pack design, making sure that we're not just focusing on a pack that's built for the pack out, but one that's comfortable enough to get you to that point, to get you to day seven without beating you up to be comfortable with that 30 40 pound range For sure. a lot of guys overlook that and they think oh it's 30 40 pounds it's it's going to be okay uh, there, but there's a lot that we do in there in terms of especially on the frame like combining the rigidity you need for those heavy loads with the pack out but then also some freedom of movement because you can put on some pack frames and they're so rigid because they're only built for that heavy weight that yep. like they're restricting your movement you're actually changing your gait without realizing it Oh, if you're yeah. bow hunting, it's difficult to draw a bow in it because you don't have any mobility. Yeah. And so for us having that like torsional flexibility to like to kind of pivot and move through the torsional for hiking, for drawing a bow is going to be really important. Um, and then at the same time, having that vertical rigidity to carry those heavy loads. So there's, you know, there's way more that goes into it than probably people realize. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about just some of those key points in themselves like you know an old pack that i have which is just a frame right like i mean there's not much else on it and you talk about resiliency and whatever else like even the mechanics of that scenario like one of the things that i always dreaded 
before last year uh, is the fact that if we went out, hiked, got to wherever we were, someone, you know, puts puts an animal on the ground, the first order of business, other than, you know, maybe you start the breakdown process or whatever else, we is hiking, go back and get, hiking get back racks. to camp yeah. to get a pack frame to hike back out. And it's like, you know, that in, in the last time that I did that, that in itself was just a four mile, you know, round trip just to get back to be able to then pack back out. Right. Where, yeah. you know, for me, just opportunistically thinking it's like the the concept and premise behind, you know, I'll call the technology, if you will, in the pack, which is diversifying the ability of the pack itself just changes. It's a game changer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that regard, it's like uh, I know now that I look at that and go, oh, well, if we get something on the ground, we can actually start getting out of here. But to that point, <laughs> yeah. too, you know, because of the packs and the way that they're designed and built, you, know, you can carry a little extra weight in the pack so you can keep your, you know, your knife kit in your bag so you don't have to go back to camp and get it. You know, so you're not, yeah, you're right. not conserving ounces or pounds because, you know, that is not going to be necessary in that moment. But now you're able to take your bags, you're able to take your, your right. knife kits, you're able to take, you know, some additional items because that weight is better distributed. It doesn't feel like it's there. So instead yeah. of carrying 30 pounds, now I'm carrying 40 pounds. But that extra 10 pounds is actually what I need to process and carry that animal out. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, which brings me to, you know, kind of some other things I think that are, are, uh, maybe fun to talk about, maybe a little less, uh, you know, logistics or whatever is like talking right about that, like come coming up. I know, uh, big event for you guys every year, death March is coming up, death hikes coming up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> was coming up. <laughs> this was whole COVID coming. mess made up. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, but, but actually it, last weekend we were supposed to be doing it, um, but yeah, as we record things currently in the midst of this COVID mess, we've had to postpone those plans. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. I don't. You want to talk about the history or background of that? Or yeah, that's. I was going to say we off. just kind of discuss the the uh, the background. Like wh- who who came up with that concept? Yeah, yeah. So Stephen Lenny, who started the company early on, they uh, I think it was it might have been 2014, 2015. Um, it, it, it's kind of become this thing, like this event. And I guess it's because yeah. we've talked about it online and people have seen it and followed it. And it's a, kind of a thing, but honestly, the original idea was, Hey, let's grab some buddies and grab our packs. And like, let's go see what we can do. Um, you know, not go on a hike to hike or go on a hike to find an animal or go on a hike to, you know, scout a spot, but like go on a hike to like figure out what we like hike to figure out what we can do to push the distance or push the pace or whatever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, this, this year, um, as we've done since then, we've done a death hike every year and it's kind of grown a little bit. We still keep it a fairly small group just because there's a lot of liability. And if we're getting guys who aren't ready to do, um, yeah. what the event is there, yeah, it would turn into a mess quick. Well, but, give, give people that maybe don't know lot last year, the, just the time frame and the mileage was what? Um, last year, uh, we were in the Frank Church uh, Wilderness of Idaho, rugged country. Um, and it, it was the first year we tried to combine the death hike with a hunt. <laughs> and um, so spring bear season was open when we did it. Right. Um, we, we've done something different every year. And we've always purposely tried to like introduce new aspects. So two things were new last year was one, it was a hunt. And then two, Steve and I had this um, clever slash terrible idea to surprise people with challenges <laughs> along the way. <laughs> and uh, yeah. surprise. Yeah. So like the year before that, for example, the year before last, we did a hundred miles um, in basically two and a half, three days. Uh, that was the goal. It, the actual mileage ended up being 95, you know, on the ground. But regardless, we did a hundred miler um, in two nights, three days. Uh, we had about, I think it ended up being roughly two thirds um, of the guys complete that. We purposely each night had a point where a truck could get to us so that, you know, if a guy sure. had a serious issue, he wasn't stuck 40 miles away from the end with no way to get out. So right. um, that was year before last. So then last year, 
We're like, we can't just keep up in the distance, right? Like we're not going to do 150 <laughs> miles this year. Right. Um, so we combined the hunting aspect of spring bear. And then we had these surprise envelopes that guys had to open. So basically we had groups of three. Uh, we started at midnight on purpose just to mess with people's sleep. Everybody leaves at midnight. They had to pre-plan a route that got them at least 20 miles deep into the Frank church. Um so they had to go at least 20 miles in, which obviously they had to come at least 20 miles out. So minimum mileage was going to be 40. And then Steve and I basically told each group, okay, get out your phone, set an alarm for midnight, set an alarm for 2 a.m., set an alarm for 5 a.m., set an alarm, all these different times. Right. And those alarms coincided with envelopes that had that time that they had to open. So all they were all the surprise challenges. Yeah. Um, so like at midnight, all the groups start and – uh, basically the first envelope was like, Hey, you're an idiot. You left your headlamp at the truck too bad for you. You got to hike the first hour with no light source, which some of the groups were on like roads. So it was kind of a big deal. Other groups were literally stumbling around in the, the woods like in the timber. Statistic version <laughs> yeah. of monopoly. Is what it is. Yeah. So like some groups were like, they had their thing tracked where they're like, we hiked 0.7 miles, but we're only 200 yards from where we started, you know, like after the first hour, <laughs> which was pretty awesome. Yeah. The, uh, the audio would have been choice, I'm sure. It would have been choice, yeah. One of them was at like 4 or 5 a.m. You had to get in, like completely submerged in the nearest water source. Yeah, um, I remember seeing that. It was that. chilly. So, yeah, like they, that was... Yeah. yeah. It's like Navy, was, Navy SEAL training, just throw random crap at you and see if you can survive. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. don't ring, don't ring the that, bell. And going back to that mental component, right, of just like messing with your mind and making you oh, uncomfortable, yeah. and for sure. Um, long story short, on that one, the the last um, the last envelope basically said, if you didn't kill a bear by now, you need to get out. But your penalty for not killing a bear is your group has to collectively pack a hundred and I can't remember if it was one hundred twenty or one hundred forty pounds. Yeah. Um, and so most guys, you know, they're, they're carrying their gear, their multi-day gear and they're carrying a rifle and then they're adding 40 to 50 pounds of really of rocks to their pack. Cause they didn't kill a bear. So most guys had to hike, um, 18 to 20 miles with an 80 plus pound pack. Yeah. I think Garrett's, uh, which is a good hunt, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's definitely did. Did anyone kill a bear last year? No, we had, one, we, had, we had one group think they saw a bear. <laughs> and the funny thing was we were in, like, it was, a, we all had a common, uh, like, rendezvous point. But then how you got in 20 miles deep into the Frank was up to you. Um, and so we had different groups scattered. We knew they picked their own route, but we had them submit it beforehand. So we made sure that groups weren't going to, like, the same point. Sure. Um, and we were in good country. But even, I can't remember if this was late June or early July. But long story short, we got hit with, like, a hail, snow, freak storm. You know, it's, it's the Frank, it's the mountains. Right. So, like, most groups, including my group, like, had zero time to glass. Like, we had no chance of seeing a bear because we had no visibility. Instead of, you know being up in the green hills scanning for a bear we were like hunkered down getting out of the snow um, <laughs> in july was, you didn't just pull a dick move and be like i'm gonna send you into a place where there's no bears but you're gonna try and yeah, kill a bear yeah. in no bear country <laughs> that was the final surprise yeah, yeah. Like, hey just just to let you know there are no bears here so pack your bag full of 80 pounds of rocks and get the hell out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah um, some of the guys had hunted that country so they knew there was possibility yeah um, uh, kind of interesting question. I thought um, you guys did a, a contest, and it, it was after the release. And I can't remember what if it coincided with was it the New Year or whatever. And you had uh -huh. placed um, in the the lumbar pack uh, a certain number of winners. You know, there was if you found this in the lumbar yeah. pack, right? I got a golden yeah. ticket. <laughs> the golden I ticket, got a golden right? Ticket. Like. Um, I, I thought that was interesting, like to keep that under your guys' hat for that long. And then what was the, yeah. re what was the release on that? Whose idea was that? Cause I thought that was pretty genius. Yeah. So when we released the K threes, um, we started taking orders in June and then we, you know, we were shipping in July and then shipping early August. And there was, there was a lot of demand, which was good, but you know, it was tough to physically get everything shipped. And it was obviously getting close to most guys, beginning of their hunting seasons and so 
it was all hand on deck. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I don't, I don't even live where the company's at, but I flew out there and I was building packs, which was a terrible idea because I don't do that on a daily basis. <laughs> and so Steve and I are out there with everybody else building packs. And uh, I can't remember which one of us thought, but like, we should totally hide something in these packs. And at first it wasn't <laughs> yeah. like the idea of a contest. It was just more of like, you know, third just, grade boys being like, we should hide something. Gets in and this. shiggles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For gets and shiggles. And so we were just like joking. They're like, Oh, let's just make it like a giveaway. Like, you know, somebody finds something. It's like, Hey, congrats. Right. Um, and so we did it. So we, we took five stickers. And as you mentioned, like behind the lumbar pad, there's this lumbar shim or lumbar insert. And we, right. these circle stick stickers were sitting there. We took five of them. Um, and we wrote like, you're a winner on it. And then both Steve and I signed it and we stuffed them in literally this massive box that had like thousands of them in there so it wasn't even in like a pack we were just processing that part of the pack at that time and we threw it in a box with like thousands we had no idea when they were getting shipped or who they were getting shipped to or we literally had no idea what happened to them and then it was we also didn't have a plan for it yeah we didn't have a plan for it so we were like yeah you're a winner but i don't even know what the prize is (laughs) um and we just did it and kind of forgot about it. And then it got to be like September, October. Um, and then one guy emailed me and he was like, Hey, I found this in my pack. What does it mean? And, he <laughs> me a picture. and it said like second place. And then it had like my signature on it. And I was like, um, stand by. I'll get back to you. I don't know what that means. And so we kind of like, Oh crap, we got to do something to giveaway. Only that guy had found one and there was five out there. No long story short, we decided, all right, for Christmas, on literally on Christmas Day, we're going to send out an email with a video to the people who had bought K3 packs. and be like, hey, you know, Merry Christmas, blah, blah, blah. By the way, check your pack. You may have won prizes. And so we had five different prizes, everything from like a brand new Hoyt bow, and they got to pick their own model. Yeah. Um, that was the first place prize. And then we had like some super cool um, custom knives and stuff. So it was just kind of a on the fly fun thing it ended up being cool christmas time just to right. say thanks to anybody who you know hey thanks for supporting us yeah. this year here's the, here's i thought it was awesome I we're, mean, all, we're all five redeemed <laughs> no and they still haven't been so um, i'm gonna check my pack i so did check your pack i yeah. did check mine um that, yeah uh, because i was like huh did the number one get get redeemed first place it did. So the, yeah so the first ah, place prize was yeah that was the bow and is there was something else with it and then second place prize was like a $500 gift card to SNS Archery and something with that. I forget what. So there was one first place prize, two second and two third. The third place prize was a custom. Uh, actually, I have one sitting up here. It was a custom Benchmade knife, like with our logo on nice. it. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, and then a custom. We work with a guy who's actually out in Colorado who makes holsters for our packs. It was one of those. Um so yeah, there's there's if anybody finds a third place that hasn't been claimed, I can send is you one it, of these knives. Is that the knife you're supposed to send out? You've just been using it. <laughs> no, I have another one. There's another one sitting over there. Uh, it's used, uh, but um, hey, it's bloody. I'll send it to you. Um, yeah, so they haven't been claimed yet. Now so I'm gonna we, have to go look for it. Yeah, yeah, go look if you haven't yet. Yeah, I, I was not a winner, but uh, anyway, I, I definitely won in, in other regards with the pack. So, um, but good. Anyhow, well. Um, kind of kind of wrap things up here and i don't want to take a whole whole much lot much more of your time but um i know uh, for anybody that's listening if they don't know you guys obviously have your own podcast we want to make sure that um the amount of information that you guys have on there is, is awesome i mean it's not you know just talking about packs and and you know what you guys do but it has a va- you know huge variety of things from hunting tactics and you know i know you guys even talk about you know some training based stuff on there so where do people find find you guys podcasts yeah, it's just called the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. Um, you can go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, or it should be pretty much everywhere. You know, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. Just search Hunt Backcountry, and it should come up. And yeah, I mean, we, um, Steve and I put that out. Um, but as you mentioned, we don't make it really about the company uh, very much or just talk about packs. It's really, you know, going back to, I think, 2015. Steve and I were just like, man, we get, we know a lot of cool people in the industry and have these cool conversations. It'd be cool to be a fly on the wall or have other people being a fly on the yeah. wall. And so that's kind of the original intent was like talking to people that we knew that 
honestly, that we were learning from and asking them the questions that we wanted to learn. Right. Um, and that's still a huge part of it is it's, it's not about what I have to say or what Steve has to say. It's more about getting really interesting people on the show and then asking them the questions that we're interested in because, you know, Steve and I continue just to want to learn as hunters and whether it's, you know, new species, new tactics, new, whatever, um, that's always beneficial. We do talk about gear right now with, uh, the COVID thing. We've been doing a bunch of like listener Q and a episodes. So it, there's definitely a, a big mix. It's not just, um, not just a single thing. I mean, we talk bow stuff, rifle stuff, deer, elk, other species, and, and like to get different people on. Yeah. Nice. Um, favorite thing for you to hunt? Hmm. The next one. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, it's hard. It's hard to beat, um, September in the elk woods for sure. Like that whole pursuit and challenge and like the whole vocal interaction, um, is something that I can't get over. But the only thing I like more than that is like the anticipation of what's next. And so whether that's a new state or a new species or whatever, like that's, man, I could, I could hunt elk for the rest of my life and be happy, but I could also hunt all kinds of different stuff and just like continue to have new experiences. And that's all for me, the hunting is all about the experience. Um, and hopefully it, that ends with some meat in the freezer and antlers on the wall, but, uh, man, it's the experience. Like I was crazy fortunate to go to Alaska for the first time this past fall. Um, and so hunting like say Sitka black tail uh, deer on Kodiak Island, you know, doesn't suck. Like, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> suck, man. Um, so yeah, whatever's next is my favorite. Awesome. That's, that's the perfect answer from, uh, someone who's, I think a lot like us, which is, uh, they're like, uh, what do you like hunting? And I'm like, uh, anything I can go hunt is perfectly yeah. fine with me right now. Like, right. I mean, we're, we're really bummed right now, just even on restrictions with like turkey hunting. I was getting really amped mm-hmm. up to get out and, um, Jason and I have a lot of tremendous connections here in nebraska um even in kansas and stuff like that and you know like i just was looking at the recent update from the department of wildlife and they're saying that you know like nebraska for example which is where i grew up they're not selling any out-of-state tags anymore like unless you have unless you have one um you can't even access you know a tag which means like i couldn't even go home and like one of our um field guys that that's part of of h3o um he lives back there he's kind of like my go-to because he always gets a chance to see everything in and around there and all it is for me is is i gotta just jump in the car and get home and we can be out Mm -hmm. getting after it right away and now that's off the table so it's kind of a bummer but um jason do you have anything else are they restricting people in the woods here in colorado too to just Coloradans? Uh, I don't know. There was a, I don't know how you guys were. There was a huge hoax on uh, April Fool's. Yeah. I think a ton of hunters were trying to tell people that they couldn't apply for tags in Colorado. So. Yeah, there was hoax going around recently. CPW I, I've sent Nebraska. out an email about it. They're right. like, this was a hoax. We are still selling stuff. There is still a season that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some real stuff, though. I mean, I did see the Nebraska thing with the non-resident, but um, in Alaska, they canceled their spring bear seasons completely, even for residents. Really? Um, yeah. Which when, you know, first I was like, ah, oh, that seems crazy, but it's so different in Alaska. Cause even resident hunters travel a lot to hunts, you know, sure. um, they're flying out to remote places and just having been up there a little bit, a couple times now looking at how that how it's structured you know there's all these remote villages that guys would travel through so the idea of people potentially bringing covid into these remote areas that haven't been exposed to it yet and then don't have good medical care like i can kind of see why they did it but it is crazy to think like even for a resident man like in your own state you can't even go hunt what was you know just a standard season is it's that's a tough pill to swallow yeah well, we're, we're all, I think, hopeful. Um, you know, we jokingly have said we hope that, you know, it, or it would have been nice had this been in September and, you know, I could have taken the month <laughs> off to just hunt. But, <laughs> right, uh, right. But uh, now even the, with the heightened awareness and, and sensitivity to it, um, now our hope is that this thing levels out and we get a chance to hunt. So, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I hope so. But, um, well, Mark, I, I greatly appreciate your time. Um, you know, you've, you've been, you know, 
really responsive, as you said, as a small company. Um, I think it's it's nice to get on the phone with you because we've exchanged so many kind of emails and texts and things like that. And I appreciate your help as far as like however many questions or things I've probably hounded you about in the last year or so. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's it's always good to to get an opportunity to connect with people uh, more on maybe a personal level, even though we've kind of you know really interacted on a professional level as far as uh, you know me me wanting to learn and get to know more about you guys so i appreciate your time you bet man glad to do it yeah thanks dude we appreciate it hi man have a great day thank you guys we appreciate you tuning in um please leave your comments questions anything like that below for us or for mark um check in uh you know our podcast and future podcasts as well as um the hunt the country uh podcast as well with them because there's a lot of great info and a lot of great people out there uh trying to put out information for everyone so thanks mark have a great day see ya Thanks again for joining us on today's Hunt, Hike, Harvest podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, and we look forward to having you visit us again in future episodes. In the meantime, follow us on all of our social media outlets on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as subscribe and like our YouTube page at Hunt, Hike, Harvest Outdoors, or H3 Outdoors. Have an interesting topic, someone you'd like to see on our podcast, or a current trend that you see in the field that you'd like to see us cover? Email us at hunthikeharvest at gmail.com, and maybe your questions will be answered in a future episode. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. We wish you all the best in your outdoor adventures, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Happy hunting.